And let me ask you to join me once more as we pray for the blessing of the Lord on his word. Father, the entrance of your word gives light, and your word is indeed a light and a lamp for us. Oh, Lord, we were in darkness until you called us, until you sent that word into our lives. And even now, though you have given us the light of life, though you have given us Christ, we know for us to hear it, for us to understand it, for me to speak it, we need your grace. Would you grant the grace of your spirit present with us this morning, illuminating, oh Lord Jesus, would you speak to us through your servant? You know my weakness and my sin. You know the dimness of our and the difficulty we have hearing. We pray, oh Lord, let none of this obscure what you want us to hear this morning. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, we're getting two readings from John's Gospel this morning. I invite you to join me turning to the 15th chapter of John's Gospel, where we will be reading in a moment. We're, we uh, have had the privilege at Christ's Covenant in Greensboro of uh, uh, doing chapel services at the Oak Ridge Military Academy uh, there in Oak Ridge, just outside Greensboro. And uh, We've been going through John's Gospel, so uh, I, I actually preached on this chapter last week and thought, well, let's see if we can tweak it and sharpen it a little bit and bring it to you again. So that is uh, uh, where we're going this morning, John 15. This is the Word of God. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. 
You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates, my, hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. And thus we end the reading of God's holy word. Uh, this is in the Last Supper discourse, and John, as, as I, I trust you know, Jesus speaking at this point only to the disciples. There aren't any unbelievers present at this point. There, there are no non-Christians there. And he is preparing them for his departure and telling them what life will be like when he is no longer physically Present. It's going to be different, very different. And of course, now for us who've never seen Jesus face to face, this is all we know in terms of our experience of Jesus. But he's preparing them for something they hadn't experienced and yet telling them it'll be good. Telling them it's for your advantage in the last chapter that, that I go away because then and only then will, will the helper come. And so he's talking about a kind of life that could only be possible through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he's also, and bears pointing out, he's saying things here that no ordinary man could say. He's speaking as God, as the God-man, and talking about imparting something to them that only the God-man can impart. And so the relationship is transformed once his physical presence is gone, but it continues. And this is how you and I have this relationship with him. This is really about what the Christian life should look like in its, in its essential, or you might say in its inner component, uh, in a sense. Well, several weeks ago, uh, my wife and I were, were 
outdoors uh, doing something we enjoy doing and uh, working uh, the ground and in this case planting trees. We bought some apple trees, dug the holes and made ready to put up a fence around them so the deer couldn't get to them. And when we took the trees out of the box, we noticed something, and which is that about two inches above the soil line for those little saplings, there was a place where you could tell it had been grafted, it had been cut. Uh, the uh, bottom of the, the tree, the, the stock, the root stock, was, was a dwarf uh, plant. The upper part was a regular sized tree, and the outcome is a semi-dwarf tree. But the thing that sticks in my mind is that here you have the, the stem of, of another tree grafted onto the base of this, and the sap from that base, the sap from those roots, flows up into the stock, I believe the word is cyan, and gives it life, and, and it will grow from that sap. And that's a picture. Most of us probably are more familiar with trees than we are with vines, although some of you uh, might be otherwise. For me, at least, that's the case. But we see the life of the stock, the life of the stem, as it were, going into the top. Uh, and in our metaphor here that Jesus is using, into the branches. So Jesus is speaking of a life that they will enjoy that is from him. It's the supernatural life. This is an ordinary life he's talking about. You already have that. Pardon me, I couldn't make up my mind which glasses would serve me better. I'm going back to the bifocals. Uh, so uh, you young people, when you get a little older, you may understand better. Um, but um, so he's representing to them this new life and this They've, they've enjoyed the privilege of being with him while he walked the earth. Now he's going away. He soon will be cut himself. The rootstock of his humanity cut in order that you and I could be grafted in. And so he's telling them again about what is this life going to look like once his physical presence is gone. And so that was 2,000 years ago or something like that. But the question, in a way, is the same uh, in, in that he's answering, and that is, what is this life to which you are called? What is the Christian life? Is, is it a matter of uh, give me a list of do's and don'ts, or is there something deeper? And obviously the answer is yes, there is something deeper. And, so, and, and this is an important question because even though we know better, quite often we may lapse into thinking of it as our list of do's and don'ts, as our duties, as it were. But there's, there's obviously a lot more. And then there is a, a second kind of a set of questions that you may, uh, may be facing in your own Christian life. Like, for instance, why am I so weary? Why is the Christian life so hard for me? Why does it seem like I try and I fail all the time? And of course, there are complexities to answering those questions and what I'm going to do this morning would, would only be a part, but it does point to something 
and that is the need to be connected to the root, the need to be connected to the vine. And that's something that we easily overlook. It, it, it is a life of being connected to Jesus that we all need. And there is where your life, your Christian life, where your supernatural life comes from. It comes from you being in union with him. So that's really what this chapter is mostly about, but not entirely. The chapter shows us three different kinds of people. There are those in the vine who are bearing fruit. There are those who uh, look like the branches of the vine that should bear fruit, and yet they're not bearing fruit. And then there are these other people that he calls the world. And so what I want to do starting out is, first of all, to talk about the, the fruitless life, because that's the contrast, if you will. That's a foil for the fruit-bearing life, the, the world, the fruitless branches versus the fruit-bearing branches. So first of all, the world, and I'm going to try and be brief on the, this negative side, but it, it's worth uh, the time to address it. Now, first of all, and I, I trust you probably, most of you know this already, but in John's gospel, when he speaks of the world, he's not talking about planet Earth or, or the people on planet Earth uh, in, in general, he has a specific idea in mind. And what he means by it, he it really, in a way, this is one of the classical locations for understanding the use of the term. He means people who don't know God. He means fallen human nature in its opposition to God. And he elaborates on that. They don't know him. They don't know the Father. They hate him, and that's why they hate the church. And uh, th that is, of course, human nature. We have uh, a, a pretty sustained look at that in chapters 4 through 11 of the book of Genesis, which shows the consequences of Adam's disobedience affect all of Adam's descendants. This is where we would be but for the grace of God. But I bring this out and I mention it because it, it's... And you may think, I've made a profession of faith, doesn't have much to do with me, but it does. This is human nature. This is what the wild branch looks like when it's not grafted into the vine. And this is where you and I would be. And in any gathering of any size, and even as small a group as this, and by the way, I can tell you've grown, which is a joy to see. Even in a group this size, there may be some people here who still really, this is where you are. Uh, and now, let me explain a little bit further. In, in John's gospel, generally, when Jesus is speaking of the world, he's not talking about people who are out of church. Now, the two categories here under this heading really kind of blur together in a way. But the, the people that are primarily in view here when he speaks of this are people who know whole chapters of the Old Testament, people who've committed massive amounts of the Bible to memory, people who are there every time the doors open at the temple or the synagogue. I mean, these are religious people, and by all appearances, you would think, man, they're way ahead of me. Uh, and, and so, you know, I'm broadening the use of the term, but that was the immediate referent that, that uh, the term referred to here. And all that to say, 
These are people who are religious, and yet they are very self-deceived about their relationship with Almighty God. And that, too, is, is pretty much the business as usual for fallen human nature. We deceive ourselves about how we are with God. Now, I'll say more about this uh, under the second heading, and we may as well head there right now. But I'm going to give you another illustration uh, similar to the first. Uh, some years ago, uh, my in-laws had an orchard in the front yard. And when my wife's father died, my mother-in-law just couldn't keep it up. And so it got neglected, got overgrown. Some of the trees died and so forth. And we decided one year we were going to restore it. And so we got out there with a the chainsaw and some other tools and began to clean it up, clear it up, cut down the dead trees and so forth. And among those trees, there was an apple tree that had been blown over. So it was growing kind of like that. But it looked healthy other than the angle of the trunk. But from that trunk, there were branches that grew up kind of like this uh, from the trunk. And then there was a veritable thicket of branches up at the top. And so I pruned off those branches that grew just vertically, which is how the trunk should have grown. And those are called suckers, by the way. They draw life out of the plant, but they don't give anything back. And then there are all these other branches at the top. And so we had to do this, like you can only do so much without killing the plant. So it took three years. But finally, after we pruned and pruned and pruned and pruned, then the tree started to produce fruit. So that's the picture here in a way, except it's not an apple tree, it's a vine. There are branches that are fruitless. So what does this represent? It means people in the church who outwardly look to you, look to me, like they are Christians. I mean, I've even heard of a guy who was with the Billy Graham crusade for years and walked away from the faith. That happens. That happens. Uh, it is possible to be deceived about your condition in Christ. And what Jesus has to say here, although it's very brief, is sobering. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he, that is the Father, takes away. And then again a little later he says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So, again, this is brief. I'm not going to linger here long. But it does indicate that the consequences of being a fruitless branch are terrible. Jesus did say toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount that on that day many would say to him, but Lord, but Lord, we prophesied in your name. We did miracles in your name. And I, I, I would emphasize, he does say, many. And he says, and I will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. This is why, in so many different ways, the letters of the New Testament exhort us, examine yourself, as Paul says, whether you are in the faith or not. See, all over John's gospel, John tells us 
many believed, and yet we see a little after he says that, that the faith that they had was shallow, it was spurious, it was like uh, all those kinds of soil in the parable of the sower that don't actually bear. Uh, and their faith wasn't real. And we see, for instance, in the eighth chapter of John, where it's, it, it says many believed, and then Jesus confronts them with some things they didn't want to hear. First of all, telling them, think about this, you're sinful. And then they especially didn't want to hear, think about this, I'm God. <laughs> but, I mean, that's really kind of what it comes down to. And they stumbled over those things and left him. And so I would just throw out a challenge to you, since this isn't the main focus of my message, but to, to ask yourself, are there things about the Bible, are there things about the church that offend me? I'm not saying you shouldn't have struggles, but ask that question. And ask, are there evidences that I do truly belong to Jesus? You children... You children are growing up in homes where your moms and dads are teaching you the things of God. That is our duty. We vowed that we would do that when you were baptized. But at some point, you will have to have this picture come together and embrace these things for yourself. And recognize, young people, recognize you know, when we see a little three or four year old out in the pew with a pad and a pen or a marker or something like that, we don't really worry too much about that. But if you're 12 years old and you'd rather draw than listen, think about it. Because branches do get broken off and thrown into the fire. Think about it. This is reality. You have a high privilege hearing these things taught and preached Sunday after Sunday. It's important. Okay, so so much for the fruitless life. The second part then of my sermon is the fruit-bearing life. Uh, you know, I w without recommending, there's a book uh, that uh, has been a blessing to many, although the theology of the author isn't the greatest, but it's called The Normal Christian Life. And uh, I'm not recommending the book, but I'm borrowing the, the words. This is the normal Christian life. This is what, what at heart and in the depths, uh, being a Christian, living as a Christian is, is about. And I was blessed by the Lord in something that I don't usually manage to do in that the Lord gave me five words beginning with P to help you remember what I'm going to do unfolding this now. So I have five points under the fruit-bearing life. And the first of these is pruning. Pruning, but I'm actually using that and making it do double duty because branches that get pruned are branches that are bearing fruit, which means they're branches whose lives have been transformed. They are truly in the vine. They are in union with Christ. And so we'll come back to that in a moment. But let's now... Look at a couple of verses here that speak of these things. Uh, verse 5 of this chapter, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do 
nothing. Well, before we get to the pruning, we're going to go back to the union. Uh, this chapter teaches us about our life as a life that is in union with Christ. Theologians speak of what we call the mystical union. And uh, that's it's a high-sounding term, but it's a pretty simple idea. Somehow or other, when you come to a saving faith in Jesus, when you see Jesus, when you hear his voice, when you come to him, you are grafted in. You become united with the vine. And the life of the vine flows into you but now here's the corollary. It's a supernatural life. It didn't originate with you. And so Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. Now you might be able to comb your hair or brush your teeth or go mow the lawn or make a phone call or something like that. Uh, but everybody does those things. That's not the Christian life. To do as a Christian what you do, for me to do as a pastor on a Sunday morning, I know full well, it, 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 unless the Lord should be pleased to bless this and do in me and through me, it's all in vain, maybe worse. If it's not from the vine, it's not what's supposed to happen. Then a second verse, every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear fruit. And then a third verse, verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So this is a, the Christian life is a life where there is fruit that comes from Jesus. So there is an expression of the life of Jesus in us and here are a couple things. One, Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. This comes from God. The initiative is with God. It was God's idea. It was God who opened eyes, my eyes, your eyes, when they were opened. It was God who caused the glory of the light of the gospel to shine into you so that you saw the creator in Jesus. It's all God at the beginning. He's the one who does it. It's not you. You can't do it. And even as you go down the road in living the Christian life, you can't do it. Jesus does it. Paul says, not I, but Christ. Not I, but the grace of God in me. You'll find things like that peppered all over Paul's writings. It's because of your being in union with Christ. Okay, but I've, as I've said a moment ago, I've lumped this under the heading of pruning because it's it, it, branches that are in union truly and not only by appearance, in union truly with Christ. Those are the branches that get pruned. So now, fun fact for the Christian life, God prunes I say fun tongue in cheek because pruning actually can happen two ways here. He says, you are clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. God does some of this by the word. You hear something, you see something that comes from scripture and you think, oh my, I must change. The pruning implies a need for change. It implies that God doesn't want us to continue as we were. Something about us has to change. That's humbling. 
And that's hard. But the other way that the Lord prunes is through his providence. Hard providence is another way in which God prunes. I mean, think of it. If you were a branch, and I mean, picture a branch with several sub-branches, and he lops off some of them, that wouldn't feel good. Well, there are things in our lives that God has ordained that serve his purposes to mature us and make us fruitful that aren't enjoyable in themselves. But it's normal. If you're in union with Christ, this is how it is. So much for the first P. The second P is present with Christ, or here's a parenthesis, communion. I've just spoken of union, now communion. Jesus repeatedly throughout this chapter says, abide in me. I believe the verb occurs more than 10 times. And you could also translate that stay, remain, continue, whatever. But fundamentally and foundationally, it means fellowship with Jesus. I, I spoke in my uh, introduction of, are you, are you weary? Well, in a lot of cases, we get weary because somehow or other we've lost sight of the face of our Savior. Amen. We have lost communion with him somehow, somewhere. You know, we need to ask, now, where was that river you wanted me to cross or that mountain you wanted me to climb? And we're, we're needing to find restoration of that communion. I don't mean you can lose your salvation, but the light of his countenance may not be what it was last week or a year ago. We need communion with him, fellowship with him. How do we do that? Well, what you're experiencing right now with the ministry of the word is one way. Your own private Bible reading prayer. I'll come back to these two in a moment. But it, it, here, the, 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 the fundamental thing is this. This is what you're made for. This is what life is about more than anything else, more than the do list of obligations and duties that follows. This is the first thing. Stay in the vine. <coughs> so that's critical. Much more can be said. Knowing Jesus is the important thing. Walking with Jesus. It's like a marriage. I mean, guys, some of us sometimes get kind of busy, don't we? Maybe too busy? I mean, women do that too. Uh, to, to enjoy your marriage like God intended, you need to seek communion with your spouse. Okay, present with Christ, meaning communion. That's number two, after pruning, which was number one. Then the third thing is practicing, practicing, practicing what Jesus says. In one word, obedience. He says, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Again, he says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Okay. You know, it's a very unfortunate thing, but throughout the history of the church, it's always been played with bad teaching and heresies from the get-go. And, um, you know, somebody we know and love uh, has grossly misunderstood something in the eighth chapter of this gospel where it says that, that we would know the truth and we would be free indeed. And he's gotten the mistaken idea that that means he can do whatever he wants. It's what we call antinomianism. 
No, it doesn't work that way. Jesus maintained an unbroken communion with the Father from all, from the beginning of his life all the way to his very last breath on the cross. And one of the major aspects of that was obedience. Jesus is fully God, but there are persons within the Trinity, and he is the Son, and the Father is the Father. And as a man, as a human being, as the God-man, he obeyed absolutely and perfectly. And that's an aspect of our communion with him, accepting that for us it's intermittent and embarrassingly, it's not perfect. It's far from it. It's sometimes dismaying how far from it. But Jesus died to atone for those lapses, which sometimes seem to be pretty continual. But pursuing obedience, what's called evangelical obedience, not that I merit anything with God, but that I do it out of love for him, and I do it knowing I should. He's God. I'm only a creature. It's his right to command me. And Jesus died for me, so I owe him doubly to obey. And when you see this as communion and not, here's my list, well, it takes on a different aspect. That's the third P. That is practicing what Jesus says. You are my friends if you do what I command. Now, by the way, there's a lot more to this chapter than we can address this morning, so... uh, Don't hold it against me if I skip over things you're curious about. Okay, then the fourth is the letter, I mean the word, pearls. Pearls that are our treasure. What I mean by that, this is a broader perspective in a way of the previous one. We obey, we obey what Jesus said, but Jesus didn't just give commandments. There's a whole lot more. Pearls. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Pearls, because they represent our treasure. Jesus himself is our treasure. But we know Jesus through his word. And so, I mean, this is one of the several reasons why you should think about seriously memorizing parts of the Bible. Memorize verses, memorize psalms, memorize whole chapters, and then think about them, savor them. He says, if my words abide, if my words continue in you. Uh, So it, it indicates walking with Jesus, living as a Christian, means that the word of God is a treasure to us. And think of it this way. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Where else can you find truth? And all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in him, Paul says. And don't you need wisdom and knowledge? So just from a practical standpoint, should value the word of God. (coughs) But we commune with him in his word. You know, this isn't by any means original with me, but I mean, when you read the Bible, you know, the psalmist says, open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things in your law. Go looking for Jesus. 
when you read it. Listen to hear him when you read it. I'm not saying you're going to hear an audible voice, but I am saying he's here for you to meet him. Pearls that are our treasure. Then lastly, and th- this is obvious even if he didn't speak of it here, and, and, and the, this is a bona fide P, prayer. Prayer. He speaks of fruit bearing that's related to prayer. Now think of this. I mean, in a way, this is a no-brainer. If you have a relationship with somebody, boys and girls, think of your best friend. Now, how could you enjoy a friendship if you didn't talk to them? I mean, wouldn't it be kind of hard? Well, we, we know, I mean, there are you know, people who, who are, are not able to speak, and of course, deaf people, for them to be able to communicate, typically in these days, they do it with sign language. But think, what if you couldn't communicate? How could you enjoy a relationship? You gotta talk to somebody. Talk to Jesus. But then think about it again with the relationship. When you have somebody that you really love, your good friend, your mom, your dad, your brothers, your sisters, you also want for them what makes them happy. Don't you? Well, that's why we pray the things that we find in the three first petitions of the Lord's Prayer. We're praying, oh Lord, it's in your power, but I want to want and ask for what you want. I want people to respect your name, to honor you, to treat you as holy. I want to see your kingdom coming. I want to see the churches bursting at the seams. People's coming in and bowing to King Jesus. And I want to see men, women, and children obeying you. And so we pray for the things that he desires. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Prayer. And that's the fifth P. So we had pruning, which included union with Christ. We had presence, meaning communion with Christ. We had practice, meaning obedience to Christ. We had pearls, meaning treasuring his word. And lastly, prayer. These are the fundamentals of the Christian life. It's not a list. It's walking with Jesus. And everything else flows out of that because his life is in us. And now, now in concluding, okay, so where does fruit bearing uh, uh, come into all this? And, and uh, you know, there's, a, there's an uh, adage in, in homiletics that you don't bring in additional information in your conclusion. I'm breaking that uh, <laughs> adage a little bit. But where does the fruit bearing come in? Well, the fruit bearing comes in because the sap of the vine flows into you and he lives his life in you as you do these things. The same Christ who died for you on Calvary, who bore your sins on the tree, who suffered the damnation of God that was ours, this same Christ is in you and you in Him. And as you commune with Him, these things come out. He lives His life in you. You are more and more made like Him. And He uses you. In the best sense of the term, He lives through you. Paul says, not I, but Christ. And there's the fruit. Character that looks more and more like Jesus. Being a blessing to others like Jesus. And 
on it goes. And that's the fruit-bearing life. Well, join me now as we pray. Father, we thank you that you are so patient with us that even as you chose us and we didn't choose you, even as you called us and gave us eyes to see and ears to hear, we thank you, Lord, that you continue working in us to will and to do your good pleasure. Grant that we can carry these things home. Grant, Lord, that, that the alliter- alliterative outline you gave me will be helpful for our remembering what John 15 teaches us. In Jesus' name.